It's actually one book originally in two parts, but doesn't really, that part really doesn't matter that much. Um, we refer to the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles, but it could also be re- referred to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So it, it's what the Holy Spirit did as a follow-on. But there are two really key pieces in this, this verbiage here. The first is all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Um, Luke, who was a physician, a very well-educated man who traveled with Paul, didn't, he used words carefully when he used words. And his expression here is that all that Jesus began to do and teach, and the implication is that the book of Acts is what he continues to do and to teach through the apostles. So there's a, there's a direct connection between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It, it's really no wonder that the book of Luke contains the most miracles in all the Gospels. And it's not surprising because a doctor would be fascinated by the number of miracles. And so we actually have more recorded miracles in the book of Luke. There, there's one other piece in the original Greek here that isn't, it's only a few commentaries pick it, pick it up. Um, and it's a, a little throwaway uh, Greek, I, I don't remember what, what it's called. It's, I think it's a contraction or something. I'm not sure what it's called in Greek, I can't remember. But it's ETA, E-T-A. And uh, I had the advantage of, actually when I studied Greek, I studied it in a secular university in England. Um, so University of Leeds, which had zero Christian influence. And my Greek teacher had no biblical framework at all. So you kind of get Greek from a whole different perspective. All I want to do is know enough to be dangerous. And, uh, and so I remember I ran across this in an IVP commentary. And so I took this commentary to him and, you know, a Greek instructor and said, hey, listen, what does this eta mean? And his first response, he just blew me off. Um, you know, it's not important. It's just a throwaway. And just there isn't anything in Scripture that's throwaway. And uh, so I took him the commentary and I showed him what somebody, well, he went away and looked it up and came back to me the next class. And he said, you know, you're right. That is a Greek literary expression. And what it means is on the other hand. It literally means on the other hand. And so all that Jesus, Jesus began to do, and on the other hand, all that the disciples now continue to do. And so right in the, in the text, there's a tie-in between what Jesus did and what the disciples are going to do. So when we read the book of Acts, we're, we're reading the continuation of a ministry. Now, not his, not his redemption, but certainly his life and ministry. There's a continuation of that life and ministry that, that we've got to grasp and we've got to follow on. And there's a pattern set in the New Testament that I want us to get a hold of. And that pattern is that Jesus did it, then he sent the 12 to do it, then he sent 70 to do it, and now he sends us to do it. And it's, it's a logical progression of thought that follows through. And I just want to look at those four references to start with this morning. In Acts 10.38, again in the book of Acts, it gives the job description that they're following up on. 
And that job description was, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went out doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so Jesus' job description here is being introduced into the text as the expectation of what we're going to walk in and what we're going to do. Jesus had two primary themes in what he spoke. One theme was his father and one theme was the kingdom. They were the the, the recurring themes right through all of the gospels are these two recurring themes. What's my father like and what's the kingdom going to produce? It's those two things that are coming out of what he taught. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just a nice prayer that I learned when I was three years old. It, it's, it's, it's an expectancy prayer that there's something going to happen in this time that represents the nature of heaven invading this time and this space. It's got to become more and more expectation that we see heaven declared here on the earth, that we see that lived out, that we see the culture of heaven lived out. It's incredibly important. And then out of that, he then delegates that mission to first to the 12. And so he called the 12 together, Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. He called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority. Um, very important. He gave, uh, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So he gave them first these two things, power and authority. We, we could teach all morning on just that, but power and authority, uh, power is the ability to do something, authority is the right to do something. He gave them the power to do something and the right to do something. The authority comes from the commission, the power comes from the life and walk of the Holy Spirit. Those two things are essential. If we're going to begin to do what Jesus did, if we're going to live the kind of lifestyle he's calling us to live, we've got to walk in his power and his authority. Because it's through those two things that we can begin to do the rest of what the disciples did. They began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to perform healing. The, the gospel is never a passive, static message. It's always a message with demonstration of his power and presence. One of the reasons that the gospel message has not done in much of the world, what it did in the early church world, is that they lived with an expectancy that this message carries power. And we have to see a restoration in our time of an expectation that the message carries demonstrating power. And to the extent that we believe that, we're going to begin to see it manifest. And now you won't, you won't find much of David Hogan's you know, bio or things he does on Facebook or anywhere in the media. He just doesn't do that very much. Um, but that guy lives this stuff in the most incredible way. And, and I don't know about you, if, I, if I'm going to learn more, I want to get around people that know more than I know. I want to get around people that are experiencing more. Every time I get around somebody experiencing more, I find more coming out of me because we're pushing the boundaries that have been set by our history and by lots of other things. 
So the power and authority are the right and the ability to do the works of Jesus. Then he sends a 70 out in Luke chapter 10, another 70, and they come back just absolutely blown away. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There's this recognition that they got sent with something. They went out with his power. They went out with his authority. And they saw something happen because of what they were walking in, what they were carrying. And as believers today, we carry an incredible gospel of the kingdom. But too many of us are internalizing that instead of allowing it to be the transforming power that it's supposed to be. The Great Commission is not just to carry a message to the ends of the earth. Great Commission is to allow the power of God to operate through your life and to begin to exercise the authority you've been given to release His power. That's the Great Commission. Then He does something amazing. As the Father has sent me, verse John, uh, John chapter 20, verse 21, I'm sending you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. So this is to his disciples, by, but by implication, without question, it's to every disciple. Are you a disciple? See, I believe in discipling. I believe we need to be a, a church that has a discipling process. I believe in that. But if our discipling does not include the actions of the demonstration of his power, it's not actually discipling. Sometimes we think discipling is learning a whole bunch of facts about someone. Please learn the facts about someone. Please study. Please let your mind be transformed. Please let that internal power, internal work of the Spirit cause you to become more Christ-like as an internal work of the Holy Spirit. But there's also an external work of the Holy Spirit. And that external work of the Holy Spirit is this message gets out to other people. I mean, look at the context of John 20. You know, he's in that act of, you know, as the Father sent me, so send I you. What's the next verse? He breathes on him and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Having commissioned them with authority, I send you. He now breathes on them so that they're ready for the power to see the Holy Spirit released through them. Both are essential. And those things carry over to us right down to today. Then we go to the verse that we're probably most familiar with, or the passage we're most familiar with. Um, I, I, as far as my memory goes, I think this was my first memory verse. And I, remember, I can actually see it on the wall of my bedroom. And the room I can see it in, I was less than five years old because we left that house when I was just under five. And I can still see this verse on the wall of my bedroom. It was one of the first ones that I memorized. And Jesus came up and said to them, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. We understand, we, we call this passage the Great Commission. 
It's the passage where he tells us to go to do what he's called us to do. He's given us all authority. What did we just talk about? All authority is his, but he says, I'm with you always, even the end of the age. All authority that's in him is with us. We've got to begin to recognize the authority we have. We're in a world that is shutting down our authority. But they have no right over this authority. They have no power over this authority. This authority comes from heaven, not from governmental leaders. Why can we go into nations and preach in ways that are against the law in those nations? Because our authority is an authority from above, not bound by the government of that nation. Y'all here? Y'all still with me? So Jesus is expecting the same thing from us, that we would teach them to observe only the nice character parts of what he taught. Teaching them to observe the Beatitudes. All good things, but he told us to teach them to observe all. Everything he commanded his disciples to do, he commands us to do. There's no limitation of that call. Church, we've got to get this into us. We have centuries of a dumbed-down gospel that doesn't make us expect. So what if you haven't seen a resurrection from the dead yet? doesn't make it not normal. It just means you haven't experienced it yet. If you want to go get hands laid on you by somebody that has, David Hogan speaking next Saturday night in Stratford First Assembly. I need some of you to go vicariously and then come lay hands on me. <laughs> Let me just throw some quotes at you that I grew up with. Hudson Taylor. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. I get down the side of you. One of the earliest quotations I have in my head is that quote. Missionary to China, incredible missionary. We've just gone through the death of the queen. If a commission by an earthly king, David Livingston, is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered sacrifice? He was commissioned by the king of England to go to Africa and kind of do a discovery path and take the gospel at the same time. He kind of disappeared in Africa, and so the, the crown sent Stanley to go looking for him. And uh, Stanley showed up in Kenya, found him, and uh, said, Dr. Livingston, I presume, one of the most famous quotes from Africa. Um, when I grew up in missionary kids' school, we were all divided into two teams, the Stanleys and the Livingstons. And uh, I was a Livingston for the whole of my school years. And uh, just, it, we, we live in these realms of, of, of these guys knew something of a cost that in our society we've forgotten the price they paid to do this. Mark Satura, he's uh, from the Navigators. 
The mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. This next one, you're probably not going to like. But this is another one I grew up with. Stuart Holden. Go ye is as much part of Christ's gospel as come unto me. You're not even a Christian until you have honestly faced your responsibility in regard to carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. Stuart Holden was a, one of the initial leaders of a group called Keswick. Um, it was called Keswick Convention. And when I grew up in a very cessationist background, Keswick, we always called Keswick Mark II evangelicalism because they went into a deeper life and that deeper life led into a hunger for the Spirit. And most, most of the leaders by the by the early 60s were baptized in the Spirit from Keswick because they just got so passionate for presence that they couldn't avoid the Holy Spirit. But Holden is also known because he's the, whole, he's the holder of the only known first-class ticket on the Titanic. And uh, he was supposed to be on that voyage as a first-class uh, coming to the States. And just before they were to board, his wife got seriously ill. And so they missed the boat. And so his ticket is actually now in a museum. And it's, it's the only surviving ticket, first-class ticket from the Titanic in 1912, whatever it was. This is the guy that's talking here. That's the way the world knows him. We know him from Keswick and the mission side of who he was. But can you let that quote, mess with you a little bit. How important is the Great Commission to us? Are we going about our lives and the Great Commission is what we do on the side when we have to? Or whatever. Let that mess with you a little bit. First John. I wasn't going to do this section and then Worship went here this morning in such a powerful way that I, I've got to go here this morning. Because he is, because as he is, so are we in this world. First John 4.17. The context of this verse is the, his love being perfected in us and the witness we've made to the world around us give us confidence before we stand, when we stand in the day of judgment. When we stand before him, our confidence is, how much like Jesus did you look when you were here? Um, if sometimes in some of the translations, it's not as easy to see it, but in the New Living Translation, it actually is incredibly clear. The New Living Translation says it this way. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. What's your confidence when you stand before him? I mean, I live for a well done. But what is your well done based on? 
It's based on how much like Jesus did you live your life here. I think one of the great regrets as we stand before him is I think that some of the miraculous side that was available to us never got tapped into because we just didn't know it was ours. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary, describes this verse this way. If we can be to the world in our poor, feeble measure what God is to it, Come on, this is a theologian we know and trust and respect. He's one of the foundation theologians of our faith. If we can be to the world in our poor, feeble measure of what God is to it, foundations of love and dispensers of his goodness, then we need not be afraid of the verdict, even of the great day of judgment. How do we stand before him? How much like Jesus did you live your life here? How much of his life is working out through you? Not just getting to the end so we have good retirement and we fulfilled our responsibility of inheritance to our kids. Those things are all important. But how much like him have you allowed yourself to become? How much of his likeness is represented in you? As believers full of the Holy Spirit, there's an expectation on us that we will transform every circumstance we go into. That circumstances will be changed, but we, because we're there, I, I, not to teach this one this morning, but um, Acts 17, 6, I love this one. But when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. When, when, did, when did somebody last accuse you of turning the world upside down? There's a few things left on my bucket list. That's one of them. I want to be accused. Now, I've, I've, I've been arrested. I've been accused of preaching where I shouldn't be preaching. I've done that when I checked off that bucket list, but I want to so mess up a city. You have that inside of you. It's in you. We've just got to let him get through you and out into the world around you. How, how do you do it? impact the next person you meet. You know, I think I, I read some time ago uh, Michael Brown's quote. I think sometimes we live with the expectation that we need to change all of the circumstances around us to impact the world. But the honest truth is your call is to impact the next person you meet. So this call happens as you impact one person at a time and those people begin to ver reverberate through. How many places do you go in your life on a regular basis 
How do they see you when you walk in the room? Have you impacted that place where you ate lunch enough that when you walk in, they recognize you? Hello? Or, or are we just using them to serve us? Or are we sitting at that table to transform the life of the person that's just meeting us? Sal and I got to minister to somebody just a couple of days ago. We were in a restaurant we really don't like. It's very, very dark. Um, they do the best prime rib in Springfield, which is why I like to go there. But I, I, don't, I don't like the place. It's just very, very dark. And uh, last two times we'd gone, the person serving us was, man, when we witnessed, when we shared our faith, when we asked to pray for them, it was just we offended them with everything in them, was offended by us just being there. And this time when we went in, the person walking up to service, there was a light in her face. And we got to pray and see God touch this woman incredibly. Just a little bit more light in a very dark place in our city. That's all we're talking about here. That's the initial place of this starts. If you can't do it there, you're not going to do it in the big stuff. If we can't do it to the one, you're not going to ever do it to a group. A lot of us are looking for a platform ministry that it comes by one person at a time comes by pouring your life out to people. Kind of the direction of our message this morning is continuity. And so I want to just show you a little bit more continuity just for the fun of it. This next quote up there is from St. Augustine. This, this has got to be my all-time favorite. And the reason it's my all-time favorite is any cessationist who teaches against healing being for today, they all use St. Augustine and his writings as their historical basis. Because Augustine taught in his early life that all miracles ended at the death of the apostles. That's what he taught in his early life. Um, that's what he wrote. He was a very prolific writer. I mean, it's it said that St. Augustine wrote five million words in his life. Five million words in his life. Um, he didn't actually physically write it. He actually, he paced and dictated and scribed, wrote down what he was saying. As he, it was the way he wrote. Five million words in his life. Through most of his life, he believe miracles had ended. And then he was a, a bishop in charge of North Africa. And the churches in North Africa broke out in the most incredible revival. And when he first heard word of it, he, he struggled to believe what he was hearing. And so being the kind of man he was, he went and researched it. Um, and this is a quote from him in his book, The City of God. 
Augustine wrote about numerous miracles he had personally witnessed and investigated. When, when Augustine says he investigated, I mean, he went, made sure that actually happened to that person. That's the kind of guy he was. Um, there were heal- including healings involving breast cancer, paralysis, blindness, even people raised from the dead. And he wrote, for even now the miracles are wrought in the name of Christ. That was written toward the end of his life. He died in 430. This was written about 426, just four years before he died. What happened? How many of you have changed your theology over your lifetime? (laughs) Man, stuff I used to believe that I can't even believe I believed anymore. It's no surprise that Augustine, over the period of his life, would grow as he encountered the work of the Holy Spirit. He goes and he sits in the midst of this incredible revival all across churches in North Africa and witnesses miracles and resurrections from the dead, speaks to people who've been raised from the dead. The book City of God was his, there, there was a, Steve, don't get sidetracked here. Well, a little sidetracked. The book City of God was written after Rome was invaded. And the pagan priests were accusing the Christians of having invited the invasion because it was the Christians' fault, because Christians had left the pagan gods. Therefore, this evil happened to Rome. And the City of God was his defense of the Christian position, writing back to that group. And he he has about four or five major defenses in there. Uh, one that it was Christians took care of people and, you know, the Christians did this. And his final, his final section is the miraculous power of God at work. And uh, what a testimony to the life of man. So that's 426. In 600, Gregory the Great, he was actually a bishop of Rome, uh, wrote a letter to... Um, Augustine, who was the bishop in England. And this is a a piece or an excerpt from that letter. I know, most living brother, that Almighty God, by means of your affection, shows great miracles in the nations which he has chosen. Therefore, it is necessary that you rejoice with fear and trembling, whilst you rejoice on the count of the same heavenly gift, that you may rejoice because the souls of the English are by outward miracles drawn to an inward grace. Look at that quote, guys. That's 600 AD. That's at least 500 years past the last of the apostles. And the nation of England is being transformed because a bishop walked in and began to see signs, wonders, and miracles and literally brought Christ to a nation, brought the gospel to a nation because the healings that happened turned the hearts to respond to the gospel. This is 500 years. There's a continuation of the ministry of Jesus that we've got to get a hold of. We've got to live in this. We can't let history or, or, or challenges or disappointments or what we haven't experienced be the measure of what we expect. The Word of God has got to become the measure of what we're going to expect. 
the last one of these. I only put three in here. I think I have 15 or 16 quotes that go all the way from 110 AD all the way through to 1400 AD. And that whole period of these kinds of things that were happening this whole time. This one is a, a guy named St. Bernard. Um, he, he actually did crusades through all of Germany and France. And uh, this, this is a, a translation out of Vita Bernardi by, somebody tell me how that's said in German. I have no idea. The life of Bernardi, basically. Um, on January 10th, 1147, the preacher of the cross, and this is St. Bernard, um, came to Cologne. On that day, at the end of a solemn mass, how did I write it up there? I, I jumped some of this out. On that day, a blind girl, I, I, I take out some of the extraneous words on these old quotes. A blind girl was healed before all the people and a wealthy matron who was well known in the town and who for three years had been unable to move her limbs, some kind of paralysis, arose under his blessing and was sound again. There are literally hundreds of miracles from St. Bernardi quoted. 1100. This is a thousand years after Christ. And there's still people behaving like Jesus. Guys, get this down inside our spirit. We've got to break out of the limitations of history and break out of the limitations of what we were raised in. I was raised to believe that St. Anthony proved there were no miracles today. I was taught that and believed it, and I taught it. Because that's what I've been told. I never read the end of the book. Never read the end of his life. Suddenly you find out this guy that's become your bastion of cessationism is actually the greatest proponent of the miraculous power at work in our day. We've got to break free of these limitations that have come on us, church. We've got to get a hold again of the Great Commission. And we've got to allow ourselves to be drawn that when you walk into any place, whether it's Walmart or the post office, you're a carrier of the life of God. This is not for a few evangelists. This is for every believer. This is for every believer. Now, there may be a few that get a hold of more radically than others. I don't think I could ever be a Hogan. I just, I just, our styles are very different. Where our calls are very different. But I respect everything that man does. Because he's plowing a trail and he's showing what's possible in an environment where we're told it's not possible. Get around people like that. Get around people that challenge your faith, that push you to go beyond the limitations. One of my great joys has been watching some of you step up into that. Just watching Jade after this trip to Comores. Suddenly there's this fireball of intense passion to see this stuff happen. It's always been in her. But she saw something. Saw God at work. And it changed her forever.
Let's stand up together. We have a great commission. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. That's John's great commission. The other one we read is from Matthew. Turn to your neighbor and say, as the Father sent me, so I send I you. You're sent. You can't get out of it. You can't can't talk your way out of this commission. It is for every believer. It is for every disciple of Christ. I long for us as a body. We've, We've experienced so much. And yet it's easy to let disappointments we face cloud our ability to go forward. I have not enjoyed the last two years of fighting for Sally's life. But we are winning. But it's been, it's, been a cha- it's been challenged me at levels I never thought I would ever be challenged at. And yet in the midst of that, we've actually seen some of the greatest breakthroughs and greatest releases. We've actually been more effective overseas in the last two years than we probably have been in the last 10. And we've not been there. God has allowed us to connect all over the world with sons and daughters that are stepping up into this stuff and doing it. And we've been able to be a spiritual mom and dad to them and help them go further than they've ever gone. And we're watching our spiritual kids see the Desrays and see, see cancer broken out of And that some of the very things we battled in our own flesh, we're watching them get the victories. I don't understand that. I don't have a theology for it. I don't have a theology for why Holden's wife gets deathly sick and so he's not on the Titanic. I don't care what your theology is that'll mess with you. But for whatever reason, his life is preserved and becomes the leader after that of Keswick from 1920, this was 12, from 23 to 28, I think. He was the leader of the Keswick Convention. One of the greatest shifts of evangelical life into life in the Spirit that we know in any time in history because they pressed into a deeper life. I don't understand that, but I celebrate it. You're not going to understand everything that happens in your life. You're not going to understand why when we pray for some people they don't get healed and we pray for others and they do. And if you let that limit you, you will always be limited. Or you can press into who he is and say, I refuse to let circumstances determine my theology. I refuse to let my experience limit my expectation of faith. So, Father, we stand before you as people in desperate need of a fresh revelation of the Great Commission. What you did by direct continuity comes down to us to do. 
So, Father, we just embrace this great commission. We say, God, teach us. Teach us how to do this. Teach us how to interact with those around us. Give us divine appointments. And, and we're just making a commitment to you that if you give us divine appointment, we're going we're gonna to do it, not mess it up. <laughs> how many of you figure out you had a divine appointment about five minutes after it happened? Like, oh man, I know what I should have done there. God, I want to know before. I want to know when I'm in it that this is you at work. So ministry team, come down. Bill, come. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, what a great word. Well, we definitely want to respond. Um, there's just a burning in you. You just feel like there's something holding you back. Uh, I believe that there's a joining of our faith to realize nothing's holding you back except that thing that was telling you you were being held back. Amen? And, and sometimes that can be a big wall, and I'm, I'm not taking it lightly, but it can be a big wall before us, and sometimes we need others just to stand with us to realize the victory, the full victory of what Jesus Christ did on the cross the full victory, to walk in the victory of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, to prosecute that victory against the works of darkness that are around us. We've been called to do the same thing as he, as he is. So we've been called to be, right? And so we are. He overcame the world. And John, First John, it says, we've also overcome the world. So Lord, I just thank you that this morning for just hearts burning, responding, wanting to say yes, and we just want to come into agreement with you this morning. If you don't know Jesus and you haven't had an encounter that's changed your life, we just want to invite you as well just to come down and, and uh, have that opportunity to encounter. Encounter the one. Encounter the face of the one. I was reading something from Smith Wigglesworth. Um, he and a couple friends went to pray for a lady that was dying, and, um, and uh, his friends that he brought with him came over. This family was just grieving. I mean, just rough shape. And he asked his friends to pray first, and they said, we're so sorry for the family. We're so sorry for what they will face and trying to raise the children after this woman's gone. And he thought, oh, man. You know, that was his first friend, so he invited his second friend up to, to, to pray for this lady for healing. He said, Lord, just, Lord, just comfort the family and everything that they're going to go through in this season and time. And so after, after the second friend came back, um, his comments on that encounter before he went up and prayed, and the lady actually got up in that moment, just completely healed. I mean, he said the problem was they were looking at her face and not the face of Jesus. So let's keep our eyes on the face of Jesus as we walk forward in the, in the supernatural power to remember whose power it is, but also to remember <laughs> who we represent, right? So, so we keep our eyes on Jesus and all of this. And I just speak grace uh, over this room for any times where we feel like we failed, we've been condemned, we, we, we feel guilt, condemnation for what we could have, should have, would have done. And I just release you in Jesus' name, Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord just moving through. His heart not only is to forgive, but his heart is, let's go, let's do this. So we declare that over you in Jesus' name. I can invite Caden down. Where are you, Caden? We're sending a we're sending him out. Come on down, buddy. We're sending him out to YWAM. Uh, he was actually running sound this morning. 
And uh, Caden has just been an incredible part of a family. We're, we're all aware of the impact his family has had in youth. Caden's been an active member of leadership within the youth ministry as well uh, with his mom and dad. So if you want to come down over this section, we're going to just send him. He's heading to YWAM. And so we want a YWAM base. We just want to send him off. So invite a couple of you to come down, begin to pray over him. I'm going to head that direction as well. If you didn't bring food, feel released to go eat, especially the guests. Let's, uh, uh, again, these altars are opened. Uh, let's take some time if your heart's burning, if you need healing in your body, if you need any kind of restoration, if you need deliverance this morning, 